morning's reading is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Welcome to St. Michael's. If you're a visitor here, or this is your first time, we're really glad that you're with us. You have joined us on an annual event, which is Commitment Sunday. And uh, I'll explain during this talk what that's all about. Let's just pray that God would speak into our lives. Would you join me in praying for a minute? Father God, thank you for your presence with us. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us from the scriptures. And I pray for the help of your Holy Spirit as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to talk this morning about what does it take to run a good race. I learned during last week that around 8,000 people have been invited to the coronation of King Charles III, which is about a quarter the size of a number of people that were invited to Queen Elizabeth II's. However, even though it's been scaled down quite a bit, it's still going to be incredible and spectacular, and I'm looking forward to it. And this morning, we're looking over the shoulder of the Apostle Paul as he is looking forward to a coronation, his own coronation. He's writing to a young disciple of Christ called Timothy, and I don't envy Paul his situation one bit, but I admire to the hilt what he writes here. He knows he's near the end of his life. He says he's being poured out like a drink offering and the time for his departure is near. That's literally what he says. And he's in prison, and one can imagine that prison conditions were not at all favorable. And he writes these really stirring words. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. I'd love to be able to write a sentence like that when I'm coming near to the end of my life. The emphasis of my talk today is unusual for us. In church, I think, and as followers of Christ, we often put an emphasis on the start of our relationship with Jesus. We talk about evangelism, and that's really, really important. Because you can't run a good race until you're in the race. You, have, you can't be a follower of Christ until you invite him into your life. You say to him, I'm going to live a life to please you. But today, our emphasis isn't on the start of a race. It's on finishing well. Next week, next Sunday, I think, is the London Marathon. 
and there'll be plenty of people who begin that race. But they know perfectly well at the beginning of a race, that's just the beginning. What counts is how they finish. So, when it comes to running the race of your life as a follower of Christ, do you think you're going to finish the race well? Does the scripture indicate that you will finish the race well? And the answer is rather frustrating because the answer is yes and no. We're given ample reason for confidence and plenty of reasons not to take it for granted. So the same writer, the Apostle Paul, will say to the Philippians, I'm convinced of this, I'm confident of this, that he who's begun a good work in you will see it through to completion. But he'll also write to the Corinthians, be careful if, you're st if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Well, I want to start with good news. I think it's always good to start with good news. And the good news is this, you can do it. You definitely can do it. You can run a good race and you can finish well. Now, I'm about to offend uh, three different nationalities, so that's your warning. So, um, these are massive generalizations, but having spent time, some time in America, one of the things that noticed, I noticed there, and I love, is a kind of ingrained optimism that seems to come with the territory. Now, I know it's a huge, broad generalization, but a you-can-do-it prevalent attitude seems to meet me very often there. You can definitely do it, and possibility thinking comes with the territory. Now, here in the UK, we tend to do the opposite. We come up very intuitively with reasons why you'll never do it, and a kind of, I told you so, of course. And I thought, well, I've offended two nationalities, why not offend the French as well? It's always a good thing. <laughs> So the French seemed to come in the middle way and so hence it was a Frenchman who said the most important thing in the Olympic Games is not winning, it's taking part. Kind of middle attitude. Well, let me tell it to you straight. When it comes to the Christian life, taking part is not enough. You need to finish well. We need to finish well. And you can. And I'm going to give you some reasons to be confident about the fact that you can finish well. This is the happy, not at all challenging, encouraging part of the talk, so enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> Paul writes to Timothy and he reminds Timothy, Timothy, the reason you're running this race as a Christian at all is because God chose you. And he doesn't make mistakes over who he chooses. And right at the start of this letter, Paul says to Timothy, I've got a lot of confidence in you, Timothy, because I know you really are someone who believes in Jesus Christ. And so did your mother, Lois. Now, sometimes in life, you will meet people who are dithering. They are kind of, yeah, wishy-washy, yeah, maybe I'm a follower of Christ, maybe I'm not. And I'm not going to spend much time on this, except to say, if that's your attitude, you will not finish well. You're probably not finished at all. Because you need to know which race you're entered for. If some people turn up for the start of a marathon next week and they're sort of halfway between being a spectator and halfway between being a runner, they're not going to finish well. They need to know in advance what race are they entered for. 
But I particularly like this emphasis of Paul's to Timothy that God has chosen you, Timothy, so you can be secure in that. And he puts it really straight. He says this. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Some time ago, I came across this rather sad little poem, I think. When we pick teams in the playground, whatever the game might be, there's always someone left to last, and usually it's me. I stand there looking hopeful and tapping myself on the chest, but captains pick the others first, starting, of course, with the best. Maybe if teams were sometimes picked, starting with the worst, once in his life a child like me could end up being first. And actually what Paul says time and time again is God picked me, Paul, when I was worst, when I was hell-bent on persecuting followers of Christ. That's when God reached out and grabbed me. So I know, says Paul, my security is in his choice. And, and it's, uh, it's just reassuring and great to know that. Now, secondly, we've been provided for by the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. So Paul will write in this letter to Timothy time and time again, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-control. Now actually, I think by any measure, Paul was a remarkably talented chap. We can tell that by the letters he wrote, and the life he lived, and the impact of his life. I think he was a mega brain. I think if he was doing one of those computer aptitude tests for a job, he'd get through those first rounds with flying colors. So it's all the more interesting that he should say to Timothy, don't rely on your own strengths because that won't be enough. You really need to ask for the strength and help of the Holy Spirit. And it's also all the more reassuring that he doesn't say to Timothy, you will never prosper as a leader or a follower of Christ because you lack the brains that I have. Not at all. He says, call on God for his strength. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. That's something we need to do. And he allies and joins together very articulately the help of the Holy Spirit and our ability to keep running this race. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Well, thirdly, the third piece of equipment we have is the scriptures. And probably a really familiar verse to you, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that a servant of God can be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm actually waiting with a great deal of interest to see if there'll be a time in the coronation service when King Charles will be handed a Bible, like his mother was so many years ago. And, and I really cherish the fact that when Queen Elizabeth was handed the Bible, these words were said, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing the world offers. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. And I so hope that's not airbrushed out of the service, because it's true. 
when you and I hold the scriptures, I, I like to think of this, that trumps all the crown jewels. It's, it's the most valuable thing that the earth has to offer. God's wisdom, God's way of living. Imagine that you set off on a long walk in a, a territory that you've never been before. And you're setting off with a map because a friend has given you a map of how to do the journey. But then imagine that the gust of wind blows and, and you lose the map, you just see it disappear. You're, you're really up against it now. That's how it is in the journey of life that God sets before you and me. He has given us all the help we need. Scripture is part of that. Well, I'm rattling through some of the provisions that will enable us to run a good race and finish well. But something else we could easily overlook. Because committing yourself to the race, reading a scripture, having the help of the Holy Spirit, that's not going to be enough. We're going to need help from one another. Paul sets it out in this letter time and time again. We can't actually run this race on our own. Sermons don't do it. The Spirit doesn't do it. We need the encouragement of one another alongside those other things. Now, perfectly willing to put my hand up and say, I think for most people listening to me, certainly in this church this morning, very little of what I've said so far is new news to you. You've heard it over years. I should just say, just because you've heard it before doesn't mean that it's not true. But what I'm finding distressing, particularly over the last 18 months, is how many of my friends are slipping away in their Christian life from running a good race to barely running or functioning at all. And I'm stopping and scratching my head and thinking, why is this? And I really don't want us to be a congregation, either individually or together, who loses the plot. And I think the insidious thing is, it's so easy to drift. And when you're drifting, it's so difficult to see that you're in danger. Just as a conversation, I remember asking a friend some years ago whether they had ever been in danger. And they thought for a while and they said, actually, yeah, I have. And they described a situation when they were invited by a friend to join them for a party on a boat. And it was in the open sea and the boat just drifted. And she said, we were having such a good time partying that it was some time before we looked to land and realized that we'd gone way out of where we thought we were. And we now had a struggle on our hands. And the thing about drifting in our Christian life is it just happens without us trying. And I can illustrate that. You know, the very, very things that I've said are core for us running a good race are so easy to lose our grip on them. So you can part company with the scriptures so easily. The very first temptation in the scriptures in Genesis, did God say, and there'll be many people who over the last year, the scriptures have confronted them as to their lifestyle and their lifestyle choices. And, and they just scratch their head and say, did God really mean it when he said that? Oh, I don't think I need bother with that. And before we knew where they are, there's a distance between them and scripture. Or parting company with the spirit. Did you notice that Paul used the image of Timothy saying, fan into flame the spirit's fire. And what happens to a fire if you don't tend it. It just goes out. 
if you and I don't tend the Holy Spirit in our life, if we don't invite the Holy Spirit, make space for him to make a difference in our life every day, the fire will just dwindle and go out. Or part in company with God's people, to be out of fellowship. Well, I think COVID did that really big time. You know, when we stopped meeting as a church face to face and we got used to long distance worship, we distanced ourselves from the very help that God intended us to enjoy and have. So these things, drifting, that's just makes it hard. And one of the things about Commitment Sunday, one of the purposes is to stop us drifting. It is to do a kind of spiritual MOT. It is to be honest with yourself and honest with God and say, where am I? Take stock of this situation. So that if, if by chance, you are actually not in a good place with God, this is a chance to get back into a relationship with him. Now, reading this letter of Timothy, it, it struck me that Paul warns Timothy things are going to get worse before they get better. It's very hard for me to quantify this, but there is a general feeling that to follow Christ faithfully today is harder than it was a year ago or five years ago because the prevalent mood in the marketplace is much more hostile. Listen to what Paul told Timothy would happen. There'll be terrible times in the last days People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, thank goodness he was wrong about all that. Or was he? <laughs> And he not only says that behavior will go off the rails, he says that biblical truth will vanish. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears long to hear. Well, at least that isn't happening. You've got to be kidding. Of course it's happening. So what's to be done? What's to be done? Well, I'm convinced, I'm convinced we can get to the finishing line together and we can end well. I want to highlight just a few things very briefly as I come to an end. Notice that Paul takes personal responsibility for his walk with God. The amount of times he repeats, I have, I have, I have. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Friends, as your pastor, it's my job to encourage you to do this, but I can't do it for you. Only you can do it for yourself. But we can encourage each other. This is a team activity. There's a very, very moving clip which you can find on, on YouTube of an athlete running a long race and he's injured and uh, his father makes it from the stands for the Olympic Games, comes onto the track and helps him over the finishing line. And of course, the runner is disqualified. 
But in the race you and I are running, it's exactly the opposite. Helping one another is encouraged. It's not cheating. And the thing is, we will go through chapters of our lives where we will need each other's help. I promise you, that's built into the territory of following Christ. And it's not a secret. Paul warns the readers of his letters time and time again that to follow Christ is to volunteer to walk down a narrow road. So one of the ways we're going to finish well is to commit to helping each other. In fact, you know, central to this particular Commitment Sunday, and it's maybe a little different from some of your previous Commitment Sundays, which I've been told about. I'm not up here principally to raid your wallet, though I have no objection to doing so. I mean, the church can't run without finances. You know that. That's a kind of no-brainer. And, and to me, that's not embarrassing. It's just a fact. You know, if, if you've decided you're going to follow Christ, which is a principal decision, if you decided you're going to build up St. Michael's as part of your worship, it's just logical that giving towards the place where you worship, that will happen. But I'm not going to say any more about that. You, you know it, and uh, you're a very faithful congregation. And so long as you keep being faithful, uh, we haven't got a challenge particularly in that area. But here is where we do have a big challenge. Coming out of the COVID period where we didn't meet together for 18 months or so, along with so many other churches, basically people got used to not helping one another, not helping one another or serving one another in church. And something very good has been happening at St. Michael's over the previous year where we've seen new people coming into the church, which is great. And we're seeing growth in a number of house groups, which is great. And we're seeing growth in a number of young people who go out to our children's church, and that's great. But we're now discovering our our pressing need is to rediscover what it means to be a team together, what it means to actually serve one another. And that actually means giving time. And for, for many of us, this is really precious, and your time is contested space. But I'm just putting it out there What we principally need now, if we're going to grow as a church onto the next level, if we're going to keep being faithful in reaching out and welcoming people in, is we're going to need more people to catch the vision of what we're trying to do and want to be part of it. So let me give you a very obvious example. I know we want us to be a warm and welcoming church. I mean, you know, if, if I said put your hand up if you want us not to be a warm and welcoming church, none of us are going to say, yeah, that's me, I'm Mr. Grumpy, I, I just don't want us to be warm and welcoming. Of course we do. And then, then I ask, uh, so what does it mean? What would it look like to be a warm and welcoming church? Well, I think it would mean that we would have a group of meters and greeters who would somewhere stand around the door and say, ah, oh, I don't think we've met. Lovely to see you today. And, and literally, just engage in a conversation, help people feel at home. And then at the end of a service, maybe pick up the conversation and say, how did you find that? Or whatever. You know, just, that's just part of what being a warm, welcoming place is. But that means we need people to actually do it. Now, if you have a heart to see us become more warm and welcoming, we'd love to see you on that team. Would you like to be part of it? Now, I could replicate this in any number of areas. I'm just, all I'm trying to raise is you could be part of the teams that make this church happen. 
What I never want us to be, and I, I'm just saying this to protect myself, I, I never want to recruit people onto teams on the basis of need or guilt or arm twisting. You know, I once went to a, a meeting like this and they were looking, well, it wasn't quite like this, but they were looking for a new secretary to some particular meeting. And they said, we're going to sit here until someone volunteers. Well, that is absolutely the worst way of going about it because somebody will feel guilty and they'll put their hand up. And the fact they're deaf and can't hear what's going on, they can't write and do shorthand or type, it makes them completely not suitable for the job, but at least you filled the gap. We don't want to do that kind of recruiting. The way I think it works in a church like ours is this, God gives each of us a passion for different things. And it's wonderful because you have a chance of belonging to a team that suits your gifts and skills. That's what we're after. And, and just to highlight this, at the end of this service, there's a kind of table set out at the back of the church. And you could just wander over there and see the different areas where there are opportunities to use the gifts that God has given you. Because this is what St. Michael's needs now if we're going to continue to grow and continue in a direction of travel that God set us on. Pulling this all together, there are two particular reasons for confidence, even in our bleakest moments. Two surprises in this letter. There's a verse that always brings me up short, and it comes very near the beginning, and it's a little sentence of Paul's where he says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. It's only a week ago that we celebrated Easter. Have you remembered Jesus Christ rose from the dead? He can empower you. He can strengthen you. He can take away your fears. He can encourage you. And the second thought is very, very like it. Possibly the saddest line in this whole letter it comes very near the end, where Paul says that at his first defense, Everyone deserted him. He was on his own, he says. But the Lord was faithful. The Lord was faithful. He says, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. The Lord is faithful and he'll see to it. Let's pray.